Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, we're going to talk a whole lot of national championship here in a second, but I got to ask from the jump. Watching the Texas Bowl as an LSU fan was like what? It was confusing. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. It was really confusing. I didn't really know how to feel. Uh, you have numerous members of this team that are you know, national champions, part of maybe the greatest season in college football history. Uh, and the end result, kind of you know, the swan song for Ed Ogeron's tenure at LSU is this team with 39 scholarship players that has a receiver at quarterback. Shout out to uh, John Trey Kirkland, by the way, who... Awesome. I mean, like, it was funny because, it, you know, one of my buddies goes to UCF, and during that, the bowl game, he played DB, and people were saying, oh, he's, you know, he's actually a DB. No, no, he's played two positions since that game. Now the second one is quarterback. This dude That's is crazy. like, I'm not going to say build the statue necessarily, but he is the most, L- he's up there with like <laughs> Hester in terms of like LSU dudes, like dudes that would give it all for LSU. So it was a tough watch. I'll be honest with you. There was a lot of stuff that you want to be mad at, but honestly, I'm just going to focus on the positives and how about pig cage, man? Pig. What a great name. If your name is pig, you're going to be able to make some plays. I don't care what your skill set says you can do. If you're a pig cage, you're getting on the football field, you're making some plays. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the the Kirkland stuff was, it was cool to see. As much as that game felt just like a total disaster, and when you are are looking at the the roster, the coaching staff, seven GAs or analysts for their 10 on-field roles, I mean, that's that's crazy to think about. As much as you're looking at this game going, why didn't LSU take a page out of A&M's playbook and just not play in this one? Mm Still pretty cool to see Kirkland kind of get that moment. What a dime that was at the end of that game, man. Like that was, that's like one of the best balls of the, the post-Burrow era. And go figure it came from a guy who's been playing receiver the last four years. It's, it's funny because oh, I was nuts. checking in and out. Because like, I'm not going to, come on now. Like that was a brutal watch. I was sad, like I said. So I was checking it, it was out. so late too. I, right. And like I checked in and I was like, literally he dropped back and threw like a beauty. And it just got snatched by a K-State guy for like a second pick of the day. And I was like... Ah, you know, maybe it's just not our day. <laughs> there are only so many minutes that we get in this life. Right. And maybe, maybe spending, you know, like 200 of them watching this football game, you're going to look back on it, you're going to say, ah, you know what, didn't necessarily need to do that. I, I saw the, the comments too, uh, like LSU wanted to play in this game. They're like, yeah, we had, we had 10 seniors who stepped up and, and said they wanted to go out this way. And I'm like, 10, that's it? That, that's all it took? It wasn't like 20, 25 seniors. You know, it wasn't like we had some Rudy situation where guys are walking into the coach's office, dropping off their jersey and and they're sacrifice Like 10 guys, that's it? I don't know. Um, credit LSU though, yeah. for being able to stick to its commitments and play in a bowl game that just, um, you, you won't be able to describe that, I don't think in five years and, and really understand what that was, but it happened, it existed, LSU did not win that football game and never really stood much of a chance. Right. Should we talk about meaningful football, maybe? Please. Just a thought? Um, yeah, in case you haven't heard, college football playoff national championship, that's a thing that's happening Monday night in the great city of Indianapolis, despite what the AJC in that article said. Get out of here with that trash. Come on. 
pointless. Yeah, the ticket prices are so high because Indianapolis, I'm, we're, we're all going to stay in Louisville. Good luck staying in Louisville. <laughs> I, I would love to talk to someone who's staying in Louisville for an event that's being played in Indianapolis. You people are crazy if you're doing that. I hope you're not and you're say, experiencing the greatness of Indianapolis. I'd say real quick, like, it's fine if you do that, but don't tell people. Like, why would you tell on yourself and be like, yo, I can't afford to go to Indianapolis. It's like, this isn't New York or LA, dog. It's not a flex that you can't go to Indianapolis. <laughs> Give me a break. There, yeah, it, all, yeah. The, the hotel is really expensive. It's a national championship. Okay, like <laughs> we're gonna we gonna blame that on Indianapolis. Get out of here with that stuff. Um, all right, the over under that I have for this one, it's twenty eight Georgia points. We're keeping it relatively simple. I almost went with two and a half Danny Cannell tweets, but we won't do that today. We'll save that discussion for another time. We'll hop in at any point here because I've, I've got a lot of stuff that we're gonna get to. This is not your typical game breakdown and prediction that we'll do. 28 Georgia points is the over-under, and we can talk about the hurdle all we want. 28 points is the most that Georgia has scored against Alabama under Kirby Smart, of course. 23 the first time in the title game, then 28 in the 2018 SEC Championship, and of course, 24 points in each of the last two meetings. One would think, all right, if Georgia can't hit that number, it's as Yogi Berra would say, deja vu all over again. Georgia comes up short yet again. Bama rolls to its seventh title in the Nick Saban era if you're not able to at least score 28 points. And while I think that Georgia needs to make offensive adjustments, of course, because you aren't winning a national title if a freshman tight end is the only dude out there making plays, I also think that we see something else. I think we see the lowest scoring national championship of the playoff era. So far, the game that holds that title, 2017 game, of course, Bama and Georgia, they had a combined 49 points. It's so strange to have an in-season rematch to decide a national championship. Saban and Kirby only ever had one in-season rematch apiece. Everyone, of course, remembers 2011 with the Bama LSU rematch. Will, I did not wake Come up. Come on, bro. I, you know what? <laughs> that whole lot of LSU slander in the first, I don't know, five minutes of this podcast. I did not mean to do that. I am sorry. Everybody remembers, though, earmuff at will. Bama pitched a shutout. LSU crossed midfield once. The rest is history. Georgia's in-season rematch, of course, and this kind of doesn't, well, I shouldn't say of course, because I don't know that it gets talked about in the same sort of way. 2017 SEC Championship against Auburn, where just a few weeks earlier, we saw Georgia just get dominated as the number one team in the country in that game at Jordan-Hare. Georgia held Auburn to seven points in the rematch. Perhaps a banged up on Johnson had something to do with it, but Kirby Smart made those adjustments and Georgia rolled in that game. I think both of these defenses this time, I think they adjust really well. I really do. And that's not a popular thing to say right now because we keep talking about the Heisman Trophy winner and Stetson Bennett. And surely those guys are going to be better. But I think the defenses are really going to show up in this game. I cannot imagine Georgia allowing a John Mechie-less Bama offense dominate them in the way that it did last time. Kirby's gonna sell out to stop Jamison Williams. Right? If anybody can agree on that, and that includes Bama fans, it's that Kirby is going to do everything in his power to make sure that that same exact guy does not beat him again like he did just a few weeks earlier. But so much of that, of course, depends on the pressure. The pressure, the pressure, the pressure. Which, if you think that's lost on Georgia's defense, it's not. Listening to those press conferences this week, it would have been a fun drinking game to play for every time the subject of getting pressure on Bryce Young was brought up, because it was a whole lot, and we would have been just a little 
little bit sloshed if we actually decided to play that out. I think the Bama offensive line in that SEC championship played the game of its life. And I really don't have any reason to expect that they're going to struggle against Georgia. But I've also got to thank Nolan Smith, N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tindall, Trayvon Walker, Quay Walker. Like These dudes won't let that happen again. They just can't. If that does, then lights out. Of course, we're going to see we're going to see the same script sort of play out. It really does kind of blow me away that Bama blocked N'Kobe Dean as well as it did for that game because anybody that has seen him in person, and I think that I've actually seen the two best N'Kobe Dean games of his career, the Florida game, and then of course this past week against Michigan, you just see how relentless, how fast that guy is, and to shut him down for 60 minutes is no small feat. We know though, if there is ever a quarterback who would be able to escape those guys and still make plays, Bryce Young probably could have said that before the SEC championship, but it goes double now that we've actually seen it and now that we've actually seen his offensive line rise to the occasion. Fire away, Will. Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny, too, to think like what a huge gap there is between Bama and Georgia and everybody else because like those Michigan guys really thought they were going to sneak up on UGA. Like we had run the, the damn off- ball. <laughs> right, I was about to say, like they had like this run the damn, they were walking in with all the swag and yeah, the Kobe Dean just showed out. It was like, it's like we watched 12 games of one thing, we watched one game of something else and we suddenly went, no, no, th- like this is a new reality. It's like, no, no, Georgia's still really good. Like you're absolutely right. Like it's not like Michigan was a bad team. It's not like they didn't come out there really trying their best, but yeah, I mean, that that's, it's kind of funny how Bama has made them look so different and it, it's a credit to Bama really. Yeah, where Will Anderson is is out here going into, well, a- after the F- SEC championship where he was saying like, we were still Bama, like people were talking about us like we were, you know, D3 or whatever, and he's got to play the disrespect card. Uh, Georgia's still Georgia. Like, mm-hmm. th- those guys didn't just die. It's not like they all of a sudden got hurt and they, they weren't going to be able to show up against Michigan. Now, what that looks like against Alabama, you're right, is going to be different because we expect Bama to be able to control them in different ways than Michigan. Uh, Michigan really just struggled with that area. I think we're going to have moments in this game in which we are reminded that Bryce Young is very special at escaping pressure, keeping his eyes downfield, squaring his shoulders, and hitting someone in stride. That is a really hard thing to do, to be able to do all four of those things and he does it at such a high level. And I don't think that Georgia's defense is going to shut him down for 60 minutes. I just don't think that's reality. But somewhat quietly, Bama's passing game hasn't quite been the same since Mechie went out. In those six quarters without John Mechie, 58% passing for Bryce Young. Here's the more interesting number. Seven yards per attempt. It's 6.8 points per quarter if you exclude the non-offensive touchdowns. So if you take away the, you know, the pick six, and if you just want to focus on that, really, I mean, this Bama offense looked somewhat average in that stretch without Mechie. And that seven yards per attempt stat is interesting because it shows the inefficiency. And it's not just as simple as, well, hey, they were up big against Georgia in the second half, and they weren't really going to test those Cincinnati corners a ton. That really hasn't been talked about a lot because right away in the second half of the SEC championship, there was the 55-yard touchdown to Jamison Williams. I know that play happened and you can't just pretend that it didn't, but just hypothetically speaking, if you wanted to take away that one play, that one play, that yards per attempt number drops to 5.9. That's it. 
I mean, it, it's for the most part, it's been a much quieter Alabama offense. Ja'Cory Brooks, he's the guy starting in place of John Mechie. He is the X factor for Bama, at least Bama's offense. He's getting these 2017 Devontae Smith comps, and I'm pretty sure just mentioning that made Georgia fans throw up in their mouths a little bit. <laughs> I didn't mean to go down that road. Finally, it's someone but... else's turn. <laughs> Brooks has been really, really clutch too, and he had a game-tying score, of course, in the Iron Bowl on that unbelievable catch and then arguably the key play of the cotton bowl with the long score at the end of the first half they have really leaned heavily on him in these last three games and my guess is that with all this attention that george is going to try and show to contain jameson williams there will be opportunities in which jacory brooks needs to go up and make a play speaking of going up and making a play i know the viral block with the shushing it was great, but Georgia needs all of George Pickens in this football game, all of him. Mm -hmm. He had one long catch against Bama, and we're like, hey, George Pickens is back. But in the three games that he's been back, that is the only time we have seen the pre-2021 Pickens in terms of high-pointing the football and making a play downfield. It's his only catch that went for more than 10 yards. Remember that stat about teams winning the national championship, having at least one future first-round receiver on the roster, and how if you include Mike Thomas, that's been the case for the last decade? Mm -hmm. Pickens has to be that first-round dude. He's got to look like it. I don't know if Pickens is going in the first round, but he's got to at least convince Bama by day's end, oh yeah, this guy is unbelievably talented, and he's everything that he was hyped up to be. As great as Brock Bowers is, it's hard to imagine a true freshman tight end being the only steady option for a national championship winning team. I also think, just like how we talked about, hey, Kirby's going to do whatever he can to stop Jameson Williams. Saban, um, he's probably going to have a plan for Brock Bowers. He <laughs> called Brock Bowers one of the premier players in college football. I don't know the list. It can't be very long, if it exists at all, of true freshman tight ends that Nick Saban has called one of the premier players in college football. I mean, think about that. That just, that does not happen. He's going to have a plan to make those adjustments because yeah, Brock Bowers can run through six guys on a given play. And if he does that, you tip your cap to him. But some of the ways in which he was creating space at the end of that game, I'd like to think that Saban looks back and says, we need to be able to make those adjustments. If I were a betting man, we're probably not going to see Henry Toto or Christian Harris lined up across from Brock Powers. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you're asking for problems. Uh, Michigan tried to do that a couple times. We're like, hey, let's go see if a linebacker can go cover him. Um, cool. That, that was, I could have told you that wasn't going to work. Um, <laughs> Didn't need to go down that road. Didn't need to see that play out, but we still did. Mm -hmm. um, I, they're going to, I would guess, and Will, you love Brock Bowers, and there are very few moments in which he's actually been contained. I know he's dealing with a little bit of a shoulder injury. Kirby says he's going to be good to go. I would expect from Bama probably a lot of zone and or Jordan battle on him in this one because yeah. you stick one defender on him and you're you're asking for problems. Like, is you, you, you love to be able to dissect defenses. Is there anything else you could possibly do to contain someone that's been so dominant and really matchup proof the entire year? Yeah, I mean, so with tight ends, a lot of the time it's personnel based. Um, so like 
the reason the Saints have been so successful with the Bucks, right, is they have so many uh, big physical safeties that can kind of run with Gronk, and that's kind of like the pressure release valve. So that mm. goes back to exactly what you were saying with George Pickens, where it's like, okay, like a lot of dynamic offenses have like a Travis Kelsey and then like a Tyreek Hill, and you have to pick your poison. And, and I think you're exactly on the money um, with Pickens, where it's like, if their game plan is to shut down Bowers, that's when Pickens needs to eat, because yeah. you have to devote personnel to Bowers. You can't just say, hey, stick, you know, stick this kind of coverage there and see what it's like this guy is the Brock Bowers guy almost. Or like on this play, your responsibility is Brock Bowers. No matter what the call is, you just gotta look at him and make sure he's not running wide open or he's you know what I'm saying? So because especially with the performance he had in the SEC championship game. So given that, given that Saban is probably gonna make that adjustment, I do think, yeah, some type of a deep threat, some type of a playmaker that could beat a guy one on one could really be beneficial for Georgia. Munkin loves to move him around, and I can't remember the Georgia player who made the comp, but said that he's he's like Travis Kelsey. Yep. And the way that he's kind of able to, to move in space, they'll do those little slip, slip screens for him. When Munkin runs an end around for him, he's really feeling himself mm-hmm. in those moments. Like, how many tight ends can he run an end around for? Remember when we talked about Auburn doing that yeah. against Houston? And we're like, uh, yeah, that doesn't work with mortal tight ends, but Brock Bowers is not that. Yeah, would expect him to be moved all over the field, really test Bama to, to put all that emphasis on him. The question that everyone wants to know, and it's been beaten to death. Can Stetson Bennett play the game of his life? Can that happen on this stage? And sure, obviously, it's it's not just Stetson Bennett because other factors are going to contribute to that. If George's offensive line can control the line of scrimmage, we see Zamir White, James Cook get rolling. Obviously, that's going to help George's chances, of course. But it's still the national championship, and you still need your quarterback to make big-time throws in key spots. I'll tell you what. For all the limitations that we talk about with Stetson Bennett and the heat that he takes for that, he's approaching this the exact right way that you would hope a guy is. And I'm not just saying that because the guy's got a flip phone. Right? Like that's, that's not what this is about. It's about a little bit more than that. You can't just have a flip phone to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. But everything suggests he recognizes the mistakes that he made and he recognizes that adjustments need to be made. Now, he did say like, look, I felt like I I actually played pretty well in the SEC Championship, and if you kind of look back, I made a few mistakes, and I made a few plays that you just cannot happen, and I would agree with that. Like, I don't think he needs to overhaul the exact thing that we saw in the SEC Championship. A few things go his way, and that's a little bit of a different story, but he knows he needs to play perfect football. His margin for error, it's not what Bryce Young's is. And it's as simple as that. You have to play mistake-free football in order to get to the top of the college football mountain. So this, this game to me, uh, in that area, in many areas, it, it's, it's all about adjustments. Mm-hmm. We're getting a rare rematch and it's adjusting from last time and not crapping the bed with Will Anderson coming on a free rush on the front side and then trying to force a throw into zone coverage and realizing that your true freshman tight end ran behind the zone defender instead of in front of him. It's adjusting within the flow of the game. If George is really able to take away the deep ball with Williams, will Bill O'Brien get Slade Bolden? Will he get Cameron Latu? Will he get Billingsley? Will he get all of those guys going underneath with those routes that aren't just two yards past the line of scrimmage like Michigan tried to do? Where Smart has been totally dominated, totally dominated in this game. And I, I mean, you know, playing and saving. These games. Yeah, Years these games. of games. Yeah. Those in-game adjustments have not been there. And look, I'm hardly the first person to say that. He knows that. 
Brock Bowers had to run through half of Bama's defense on that touchdown for Kirby Smart to finally score a fourth quarter touchdown against Saban. Oh, that was that, the first one? That's, that was the first one. Man. He had been shut out. No points. First time that he scored a point in the fourth quarter against Nick Saban. Can Kirby finally be at his best late in one of these games? I truly went back and forth on this pick. And unlike maybe any big time game since I've been doing this job, I mean, I even, even this morning, I mean, we recorded this on Thursday morning and I'm still like, man, I can see this playing out. I can see this playing out. There's part of me that honestly just doesn't want to look like an idiot. Right. I felt like an idiot after the SEC championship for saying that Saban's team would lose as an underdog. I really did. Mm -hmm. And if I predict Georgia to win this one in Saban, AKA Lucy, pulls the football from Charlie Brown, I'm going to again feel like an idiot. <laughs> Especially when I said right after the SEC championship, no, I don't think you can expect different results when you just saw this play out. So that absolutely factored into my mindset and it's one of the reasons why I've gone back and forth with this thing. And then there's also another thought that I had. If Georgia is going to win it all, isn't this the exact script that it would follow for that to happen? It has this historically dominant regular season, loses to Bama, and when all hope is lost, it's a blown opportunity all over again. It's looking like, oh man, they're not gonna end the 1980 jokes after all. And then suddenly it's not. Like, mm -hmm. if Georgia is ever going to end the 1980 jokes, it was going to be beating Bama. We knew that, all right? Like that's, that's not necessarily a mystery here. My, my brother brought up a point that I think makes a lot of sense. Is this Bama team really good enough to beat that Georgia team twice? Like the Georgia team that had one bad day and has been a total juggernaut in the 13 games outside of that. Because now Georgia gets the opportunity as the more, I would say the more talented team, which you could point to a couple different things and say, oh, that's not necessarily the case. But given what we saw in the regular season, given what we saw with Georgia's upside, you could say, all right, Georgia now has the chance to make these adjustments. Bama played what was by far its best game in what turned out to be kind of an outlier if you consider the rest of the season, the stat that we always brought up, six of eight SEC games that were one score games in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. And Georgia, meanwhile, played what was by far its worst game. I think Georgia's a better football team. And I said it was Georgia's year for three months. So I'm ready to look like an idiot again. <laughs> I am. No question about it. I'm ready, I'm to, going, get her, get, ready to get hurt again. I'm, I'm ready to get hurt again. I'm going Georgia 24, Bama 17. Will, just tell me and I'm an idiot now. I just, it's hope, man, it's hope. It really is. That's the feeling you're feeling inside of you right now. I mean, you're absolutely right. This is the best Georgia team I feel like I feel like I've seen in my lifetime. I know there are questions on the offensive side of the ball, but in terms of the resume they put together, in terms of the moments, in terms of the I mean, just the dominance they've had, and this is probably the worst Bama team of the Saban era. Uh, maybe 2014. Nah. Well, now hold on. Going into if you took out that game. I'm talking about take out that game. I'm talking about everything but Georgia. Other, you could take out 2014. Like there are a couple of, of things that like a couple of other teams, most of them have been so dominant. But that game has changed so much of our opinion of this Bama team. 
like as you were talking about, you picked Georgia in that game. They were they were in a dogfight with these bad teams over and over and over again. And so I'm saying if you if you take Georgia out of this and you take Kirby out of this, this is the best Georgia team and the worst Alabama team. I think of the Saban era, and 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 I think that Saban has done an incredible job coaching them. Not including 20, 2007. 2007. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that that, that's gone. But um, yeah. 2010. That team, I know, I know that team. Obviously, the, the star so power was talent, obviously though. there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just that was just a weird execution. That team would never okay. happen again. You know what I'm saying? But point being, Fair. um, so yeah, like, I, I, just in terms of like talent and like it's really just Will Anderson and Bryce Young out there. Jamison Williams is good, but we saw what their offense looks like without him. And even even the guy um like Mechie goes out and it just hurts their offense because there's so much of a trust factor with Bryce Young and the guys that he trusts. And so point being, like I said, y- you just you just hope for Kirby that like you said, this is the one because if this isn't the one, then the question is paint a picture where it is because like okay. this is the this is what you want if you're Kirby. I agree. Uh, one one other thing that that is uh, on that that note. If Georgia loses, the if not now then when. Right. All of those takes are coming out. We know that, right? Like that's it. It's true that there's some merit to them because it's like, you know, Bama was so young and Georgia was so dominant and Kirby got two chances to take down Bama. Mm-hmm. to send Bama home because if you beat Bama in the SEC championship, your path through the playoff doesn't include Bama. I, I truly yep. don't think Bama would have gotten in with those two losses without an SEC championship. It's sort of wild though to be like, look, am I about to say that someone in year six as an FBS head coach with as much roster talent as anyone in the country is never going to win a national title? Like, think about, think about just that, because I know we talk about the Bama side of this. Kirby's 46. Even Dabo was 47 when he won it all the first time. Mm-hmm. If Kirby can't beat Saban this time, I'd be more willing to be like, hey, he might just never beat him. <laughs> if I like, be like, like a Jordan thing where everyone else just kind of gets older, like it's like, yeah, well, you know, like the Celtics and the Pistons, like eventually they're going to go away. <laughs> yeah, Jordan, Jordan beat the Pistons. I'm not, the Pistons I know you're a Bulls fan, but you see what court, I'm saying? And, you you know. see he like banged his head into the wall over and over and over again. It's like eventually you're just going to have to, these guys are going to age out. I don't know. Yeah, so like we associate beating Saban with winning a national title. Those two things are synonymous, right. and they should be, because in the years that Bama hasn't won a national title dating back to 2008, six of those, and that's I do it to back to 2008 because that's when Bama became Bama, of course. Right. That's kind of the launching point. Again, 2007 did not happen. I can't stress that. As a Bama hater, just don't try to back it up because <laughs> you sound ridiculous. Okay, so since 2008, I just tweeted this out, mm-hmm. six of those non-Bama, six of those seven non-Bama teams who won it all, they had to beat Bama that year. So the title runs through Bama, mm-hmm. essentially. The lone exception being 2013 Florida State. 2013 Florida State beat Auburn right. in the national championship. Auburn got to the national championship by virtue of the kick six. Mm-hmm. So think about that. That's 14 years in which you could say, hey, you're not getting to a national championship unless you beat a Nick Saban Alabama team. Because like, 
even 2013 Auburn technically had to beat Bama to get there. And if you want to get into the weeds, yeah, I guess you could be like, well, 2019 LSU and 2010 Auburn could have still lost, you know, they could have still lost their games to Bama in the regular season and made it to the SEC championship because the tide had multiple regular season losses in conference play. But still, the point remains. And I wanted to leave it at like since Bama became Bama, but as Mike Toscano and uh, Russell McCurdy pointed out to me on Twitter, you can actually include 2006 and 2007 in that argument as well because 2006 Florida beat Bama in the regular season, 2007 LSU beat Bama in the regular season. So like, that's pretty crazy <laughs> to be like, uh, you could say, oh yeah, title runs, you know, all roads to a championship go through Tuscaloosa when it's like, no, 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 they, they do. They absolutely do. Yeah. So that's a wild thing to consider. And that's why winning a title goes hand in hand with beating Bama. That's why besides Saban now, there are only three active head coaches who have rings. That's it. Jimbo, Dabo, Mac Brown. That's it. Man. Ed O'Dron's not active. Mac Brown. <laughs> Still legend. Same age as Saban. People forget that. Same age. Nobody ever wants really? to Really? We gotta get Saban's yeah. skincare routine, man. All that winning's <laughs> aging him gracefully. Like you could talk about how crazy Saban is as far as like how hard he goes. That guy's aging like fine wine compared to Mac Brown. <laughs> Mac Brown just needed a mayo bath to be able to kind of replenish his skin, get some moisture back in there, and he'd be looking just as young as Saban, I think. Um, real quick tip on that though, you know, we always talk about Saban as like this kind of. <laughs> what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Real quick tip on, on the. Uh, not I, on the I, I mayo bath. Talking about skin. Okay. Not right, on the mayo bath. On, on on Mac Brown, and and we talk. <laughs> We talk, we talk about Saban as this guy that's really rigid and ornery and he doesn't like all the changes or whatever. That Mac Brown thing is actually an interesting point because, you know, it's funny to think about this like old you know, grizzled guy as the one who is just outfoxing Kirby, right? Kirby was this young, like former player, defensive guru. And it's kind of crazy to think that like in their matchups, it has been Saban who has been bolder. He has been more on the cutting edge when you talk about adapting offense. And I credit to him because you would think that the younger guys would have the advantage of like youth and like therefore innovation or risk risk taking. Saban, there he he just makes decisions where you're like, oh god, this is gonna work out, isn't it? I hate this. One step ahead, yep. despite the fact that he is 24, 24 years older than Kirby Smart. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's been said many a time about Saban making the better adjustments to some about someone that's uh, young enough to be his son. Kirby mm -hmm. falls in that camp. If Georgia doesn't get it done, going 0-5 against Saban for Kirby, with potentially, depending on how this plays out, with five blown leads, three of which we know are by double figures, it would make us wonder if Kirby will ever beat his former boss. But it's still, <clears throat> in my opinion, perhaps a bit much, just a little bit much, to say that a 46-year-old guy in year six as a head coach can never win a national title just because it doesn't happen this year with this specific group. I don't know. Are you gonna be one of those people that's gonna say like, it's never gonna happen if you can't get it done on Monday? No, I mean like, that's the thing, man. It's like, I've kind of been on both sides of it where it's like, you have like this LSU team that like, doesn't really come out of nowhere necessarily, but they have this meteoric rise and this huge plummet. And then, you know, <laughs> I'm obviously a Saints fan where we've seen them be right there every single year and it just I keep, keep finding ways to lose. And it's like, I'll be honest with you, man, like it's hard for lots of college football fan bases to feel sorry for Georgia. You know, all the recruits and all the advantages they have. Like they're obviously not Nebraska. They have lots of things going for them. But at the same time, like I said, at the same time, like I feel like 
like I said, I feel like my heart goes out to them for everything that they've endured to this point, and I really am rooting for them. And like you said, I'm, I'm not going to be that guy. Maybe I'll get a couple jokes off, because that's what I do. You know, I'm, I slander everyone equally, even, you know, my teams, but I'll probably get a couple jokes off. But at the end of the day, it's like, you can't... The thing about Kirby Smart is every other fan base wants Georgia to hit the panic button on Kirby Smart. And that's how you know how good of a coach Kirby Smart is, because they want him to leave. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if you're a Florida fan or if you're, you know, a Georgia Tech fan, oh, Kirby Smart can't win the big one. It's like, yeah, but he'll still beat your team every year. And I'll tell you something, as hard as it is to lose the big one, Georgia fans had three months of just you know, a Mardi Gras of this season. So I think eventually things have to fall your way. Eventually the stars line up, although it would be so huge for Kirby's resume. We talk about how much runway he has left in this job. This is obviously his dream job, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's so rare that a guy builds the bona fides to get his dream job this early in his career and could potentially stay there and keep his heart in it for a long time. So. You start to look at the seasons he's stacked up, the winning percentage, stuff like that. If we were to really get into that all-time tier one, that could start on Monday. Yeah, and the beginning of maybe maybe Georgia is the team of the 2020s. Maybe, maybe it's not fair to say that they're going to dominate the sport the way that Bama did in the 2010s. Because, mm -hmm. quite frankly, I don't know that we'll ever see that again. But maybe... Maybe it's even better than twenty the the latter part of the twenty tens with Clemson, you know where Clemson goes to goes to the playoff every single year from twenty fifteen. I guess we'll include twenty twenty in that as well. Mm -hmm. Gets to a national championship in in three of those or four of those years and wins wins two titles. Like that's that's still something that yeah four years right. I got that right. 2015, 2016, 2018, 2020. Yeah, we got we got that right. Um, or no, 2019, not 2020, my bad. But yeah, maybe maybe Georgia's in for a run like that. But then you kind of realize like, well, what's to say it could only be that? And what's to say that it's not even, even, even more remarkable than that? Because we know the talent is there and these things aren't always necessarily, necessarily linear. So we shouldn't all, all of a sudden expect Georgia to rip off four straight titles. But you're exactly right that if Kirby gets over the hump now, all of that suddenly feels way more on the table than it was when we were talking about this three years ago. And it's like, well, you know, you gotta win one before you can right. win five and become a real dynasty in college football. One last, last thing. Remember when people were worried that a playoff game would be forfeited because of COVID? Mm -hmm. Fun times. Yep. That's all I got on that. Just wanted to. Hey, Bring you were right. There. It was never gonna happen. <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm totally gonna dunk on that woman in my mother-in-law's yoga class. <laughs> you could be in that yoga <laughs> class 15 okay. minutes early, sitting there with the mat rolled up on your lap, just like, hey, Brenda, <laughs> yo, what's good? You like the playoff? Yeah, me too. It's because it happened. <laughs> I was, I, we will be working out over the course of the next few days, because I'm, uh, by the time people are listening to this, I will probably be in Indianapolis. That, that is the plan, um, God willing. Hopefully nothing changes that in the next few days. Um, but yes, very much looking forward to Monday night. Should be a great, great time in, Indian in Indianapolis. People are calling Connor the king of Indianapolis. How would you respond to that? <laughs> I'll take it. Um, look, like I, I, 
I, I take pride in Indianapolis, not just because like my wife and her family are, are from there, but because of the fact that like I, I spent a summer there, I went to college an hour away from there. I had, you know, a whole lot of experiences in Indianapolis and it's been, you know, been, been a yearly visit, at least a yearly visit, if not more for the last decade plus of my life. So yeah, I take a lot of pride in Indianapolis and if people are gonna hate on it for the weather or something like that, just go indoors, like, all right? Like, Plenty to do indoors, I promise you. One Bars more. and restaurants are great. Mass Ave, hit it up. You'll have a good time. One more quick Indianapolis thing. Which places should people check out that are heading to the game, you know, for the national championship game, Georgia and Bama fans? Anything cool in Indianapolis you would recommend? Everybody's gonna talk about St. Elmo's. Mm -hmm. um, getting a reservation at St. Elmo's this time of year are probably a little bit difficult. It's too late. To don't, don't, don't even Google it. It's, it's too late. late. <laughs> Yeah, if you got one, uh, good on you. I've actually never been to St. Elmo's in Indy. I know like, it, it's, it gets all the the, uh, the pub and everything like that, but just go on Mass Ave. Go on Mass Ave, have yourself a good time. Lots of bars and restaurants, all within walking distance of one another. You'll have yourself a really, really good time, um, depending on kind of where you're staying and all that stuff. But experience downtown, it's a great place to be. Like, haters, get out of here. I don't, I don't wanna hear any of that. Lucas Oil, great place to watch a football game, dome. That's sitting outside. It's not gonna be 32 degrees while you're watching that game. It'll be fun. I promise it'll be fun. You'll have a great time. All right, let's kick it to Josh Pate. Great to be able to chat with him. Love his perspective. And he's one of those guys like Matt Hayes where even if I don't agree with him, I always find myself considering a side that maybe I haven't given enough thought to. So here is Josh. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a first time guest. It is Josh Pate, host of the Late Kick podcast and Late Kick Live on YouTube. Josh, I don't say this lightly, but I truly mean it when I say that in this crazy time in our sport, you have become a voice of reason. And you've been able to grow your platform in many ways because you really don't come off as someone who has this agenda. But I want you to come clean here. What is the Pate State agenda? Well, that's kind of it. Look, this is a it's in the worst of times. It's also the best of times. There's a lot of sort of antithetical phrasing going on there. But if you think about it, there's never been a better opportunity to sort of create a new platform, what I call alternative media platform than now because of what you just said, like the rest of the legacy media ecosystem is kind of gross right now, at least from my perspective. And my perspective is one of a more traditionalist approach. Like I'm not opposed to progress. I just think that a vast majority of what's presented as progress these days in college football is not that. Uh, but also, I didn't get pumped off like a journalism school assembly line. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I didn't take the classical route into our industry. So I was a fan for a long, long time before anyone ever put a live microphone in front of me. So I, I don't know. I've always perceived the perspective that I have as maybe a little bit unique. And I think in this day and age, maybe that's an advantage. I don't know. What is, what is your background? Cause I know you were doing TV stuff for a little bit as well. And I, like you talk about being a fan of this sport for as long as you were like that, that sometimes can be such a great foundation. And in this day and age, in this media scape, it absolutely is. But like, you didn't take the, the traditional route to get to this point where people are valuing your opinions about the national championship and about big time issues in the sports. Like what exactly kind of got you here without taking the traditional route? Well, a lot of trial and error and a lot of, a lot of sort of drifting through my early to mid twenties, having really no purpose, no direction, 
like I, I had God-given ability and talent. We all do. I had no earthly idea how to apply it. I had no earthly idea what I really wanted to do. Now, I knew what I liked. I knew I liked sports. I knew I liked college football. But, like, I don't know. The background I came from and the way that I came up, it never really clicked that you could do what you love for a living, if that makes any sense. And so I always thought college football, that's going to be something I watch on Saturday. And then my actual job, that's going to be what I do Monday through Friday. And I sit there and count down the days until Saturday. Like that was what it was always going to be. Your hobby can't be your job. Well, you know, there were, there were a couple of events in my life, not to go down that road, but there were a couple of events that, you know, sort of got me back on track and like, gave me a little bit of direction, gave me a little purpose. And I understood sort of that inter- that intersection of talent and passion. You can actually have a career there. And this is the intersection of my talent and passion. And so I started badgering the program director at the ESPN radio affiliate down in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, this is like 10, 12 years ago now. I started badgering him. I said, I'm not asking you to put me on air, man. I've never been on air. I just want to come watch radio. I want to watch production. I want to see how it happens. And he let me come in there, and I came in for like two months. And his co-host got sick one day. And with five minutes heads up, he said, look, I need someone. I'm not ready for this show today. I don't feel good either. Like, do you want to hop on air? So I did. It's afternoon drive. It's in the south. It's the middle of the football season. I'm speaking my second language, which is college football. And it was awesome. I loved it. They never took me off air. A couple of years later, a general wow. manager from a TV station calls me and says, hey, dude, I listen to that show every day. Like, you don't know me, but I'd like to offer you a job. I want you to come do a college football show for me. I want you to be my sports anchor. Yeah, I know you've never been on TV. Do it anyway. So that kind of progressed. And years later, end up at CBS, long story short. Um, but that's the way it went. But the whole point behind that is the, the path I took was one where – my default setting was never just assuming any of this. Like my default setting was, uh, I was, I was very close in life to settling in sort of like dust into a path I didn't want to be in. So I don't ever take the fact that, you know, we're going to do something like go to Indianapolis, Indiana and get paid to cover a national title game Monday night. I will never take that stuff for granted. And it, it comes out in your work. And I, I think that's become something that We've really noticed, oh, and maybe COVID kind of brought some of that out where you just kind of see, everybody kind of can tell the writers who seem like they're really burnt out and they're upset about everything, not to name names. I've done that plenty of times on this podcast, but it also kind of allows the opposite to happen where people who truly do have that passion for the sport, they're able to shine. And I think in this day and age, you're kind of looking for those unbiased type voices. And like me, you're not born and raised in in the South and like have all of this, you know, like you're not coming across as like, hey, Joe SEC or anything like that. I'd like to think that we both kind of have a well-traveled, you know, 3,000 feet view of this whole thing. When you see people like Emmanuel Acho and your coworker, Danny Cannell, when you see him talk about SEC bias, what's kind of your take on that? Well, my take is I'm working with Cannell all day Sunday, and I cannot wait for that uh, because <laughs> he will have to listen to me. He will have to stand next to me and deal with that all day. Look, when I hear him say it, it's not the first time that, you nor I nor anyone listening has heard that refrain. I always kind of chuckle at it because I know where it's born. Like I try and put myself in the position of someone who didn't grow up in the South, who never grew up rooting for any SEC team. It must get old. Like I, I understand it, guys, for those listening who may not be of Southern heritage. I get how old that must be. And it, it probably just out of boredom strikes you that I'm tired of getting beat on. Let me make up some reasons why this is happening other than we're just not good enough on average. And so like 
that's where it comes from. There's this other, there's this other tendency. I've noticed this more and more. I don't know if it's a society thing or just a sporting culture thing. I tend to believe the latter, but I've noticed that there has to be a boogeyman. You know, it's got to be either ESPN or it's got to be Vegas. Or it's got to be the, the officials. Something is holding you down. It can't yep. just be that your conference commissioners or your athletic directors have made very poor hires and those have crippled your program. It can't be that. It can't be that you have fractional investment relative to an average SEC program, much less the top tier. It's got to be that there's some nameless, faceless entity out there that's holding you down. And that's SEC bias. Now, Connor, if you were to say, show me SEC bias, that would be like telling them, take this square of jello and nail it to the wall. They can't do it. And that's why anytime you ever see someone explain SEC bias, it takes like four and a half minutes, and then you're left saying, what did I just listen to? Like, that's SEC bias. One of the big misconceptions is that playoff expansion is going to make more parity. And perhaps as those who have referenced SEC bias in the past, they'll, they'll be able to see a system that rewards everyone. It doesn't necessarily look at, at conference supremacy or something like that. And in my opinion, that, that is a misconception. You've been banging the drum about that for, for a while, that it's simply not going to all of a sudden level the playing field. And I, I agree. If anything, that's going to make the sport less random. And you're going to force teams to play more games to reach the sports pinnacle. Like compare the NBA to the NFL. In the NBA, the best teams usually reach the finals because the playoffs are like two months, where in the NFL, you can have a wild card team get there because it's such a smaller sample size. What are your thoughts on automatic bids for conference champs? Because I think 2021 is the perfect example for our, why they really don't make sense. They don't make sense if your goal is what our goal is. Like It sounds like you and I may be on the same wavelength here. My, my goal has always been that any postseason format especially in something as disproportionately balanced as college football should be about awarding excellence. I do not believe in an inclusion-based model, athletically at least, when it comes to college sports. Anytime someone ever comes at me and says, why can't college do it the same way the NFL does? I know this is already an argument not really worth having with this person because if they are equating one to the other, like that is apples to bowling balls. When you talk about the strength of relative schedule, NFL to college, that's apples to grapefruits. It's not even a conversation worth having. Also, when someone tells me why can't college do it the way NFL does, the other reason I start to tune that out at my very core is because I don't want college to look like the NFL. I don't think at our best our sport looks like the NFL. I'm not anti-NFL. I watch it on Sunday like everyone else. I've just always been able to distinguish these are different products. The, the, the ball looks the same. The field looks the same. But these are different products. And it, winning the AFC West versus winning the AFC South, those should be equal in nature. You should be awarded that because the gap between the best and the worst in the NFL, point spread-wise, some years is under two touchdowns. In this sport, the difference between the top of a conference and the middle of that conference sometimes is four touchdowns. So it's insane. Anyway, when people talk about auto bids, I understand it. And you can be of that opinion. You can be of that mentality if you want to. But you cannot admit to me that you want the best in the playoff and also advocate an auto bid system. Because no one out there is going to convince me that before we enter a season, we automatically know that if you check the box of conference championship, it means you're one of the best teams in the country. So you are advocating for an inclusion-based model. Now, what that does is it does get geographically more of the sport involved in your playoffs, but the misnomer 
is the playoff will always be the playoff. Like right now, we put a certain premium on the playoff. And people just assume since that sticker will always be on the product, it doesn't matter who we put in there. That sticker will always mean the same thing. Well, if you devalue it with an auto-bid system and you get a three-loss Pac-12 in there while a, a one-loss Texas A&M's on the outside looking in just because they happen to be in the wrong division, it doesn't carry as much inherent value because anyone with a working brain can look and see that team that got left out would be favored by like 13 and a half points over this team that got put in. What is this thing worth at this point? Let's talk about the current playoff because you hit on a lot of key points there and, and the, the value of, of what it means for both of these fan bases getting to this point to be able to, to watch their team in a 15th game means just so, so much, pardon the pun there. But Bama and Georgia are a couple of programs who I think we're, we're wondering about the adjustments, right? Like we see, we see the SEC championship, we see the way that it plays out with Jameson Williams, he goes over the top, he burns the Georgia secondary, the same Georgia secondary we've had all these questions about. Do you think he goes off again? Or does Kirby sell out to make sure that he doesn't necessarily have those chunk plays, especially with Mechie out? I'll tell you, I'd be surprised if he was able to go off. It's not gonna be because of lack of trying, but I would be stunned if we watched that game Monday night and there's not an inordinate amount of attention paid to number one in Crimson. And also, I would be surprised if we didn't watch a lot more pressure, whether that be blitzes or whether that be different ways Georgia gets after um, Bryce Young. But there will, be, there will not be the same approach defensively as you saw the first time. Now, that doesn't automatically guarantee a different result. Jamison Williams may still have eight catches for 132 yards and a score by halftime, for all I know. But I would be surprised at that. Now, that doesn't mean Alabama can't win. That doesn't mean they can't get their production through the air. Because I can assure you, if the two boxes that we just drew on this board here, if we check both of those, Georgia's blitzing a lot. Georgia is covering Jamison Williams with one, one and a half, or two guys at times. You know as well as I do, there are mismatches somewhere. Georgia's going to bank on you not being able to capitalize, but there are going to be mismatches. Now, you don't say the name Slade Bolden and think, uh-oh, glaring mismatch. And the younger guys like Ja'Cory Brooks, you don't automatically say his name and think, yeah, he'll, he'll just pop out of nowhere here. But I'll tell you a name that really I can't get out of the back of my mind. I'll go back to 2015. And I remember O.J. Howard had been a five-star mm-hmm. tight end out of high school. And O.J. Howard had been on that roster and he had played all year, but he just hadn't quite had that level of production. Now, everyone looked at him and said he's a freak, but he hadn't had that level of production. And then all of a sudden, It's like Nick Saban just saved him for Clemson all year. And they pop him, and he goes for over 200 yards. I would not be surprised if Jaleel Billingsley ends up being the guy that in in lieu of being able to light you up with Jamison Williams and you bring in a lot of pressure here, you're going to have to leave a mismatch somewhere. I think that mismatch may be 19th. I think it may be Jaleel Billingsley. Would not surprise me at all to see him with a huge chunk of reception yardage on his stat sheet. Now, is it enough? Is it enough to deter you from shifting the entire field to Jamison Williams? I don't know. I think they'll try and find it out early, though. Yeah, I I agree. And especially with all that we've talked about with Bill O'Brien and his use of the tight ends, that would just make, it would make perfect sense. And for a guy, Billingsley, who's been in and out of Saban's doghouse, like that that storyline kind of writes itself. On uh, On the Georgia side, we were in Miami watching Georgia just shred Michigan. I mean, it, it was ugly. It was easily the best I had seen Stetson Bennett play. He didn't make those mistakes that we saw against Bama. Are you of the mindset that the third time against Bama will be different for him? Not necessarily. Um, 
but I'll tell you, you know, I go back to the SEC championship game. I didn't walk out of there thinking the same thing about him that a lot of other people did. I don't know what it was, but I walked away thinking about the number 3.6. Like, all I, all I watched was Georgia not be able to run the ball more effectively. Because if you would have told me that Friday night or Saturday morning, Georgia's only going to put up 3.6 yards per carry against Alabama, I would have been able to tell you they're in trouble. Like, any, any idiot could have told you that, I would think. Because Stetson Bennett, while he is effective, if you're playing the right game, he's not a guy that's going to bail you out consistently on third and eight. That's not his game. Like, that is not complimentary Georgia football. And so I would say the same thing in this game. If they make him throw the ball out of necessity instead of affording him the luxury of throwing the ball whenever they want to, they're in trouble again, which goes back to not Stetson Bennett. It goes back to McIntosh and Cook and White and those guys in the offensive backfield for Georgia. That offensive line, too, needs to step up. And that's, to me, one of, if not the most critical factors of this game. Because everyone wants to talk Stetson Bennett. I don't even make his name come out of my mouth until you tell me how that Georgia ground game is going to operate. I like that. Uh, And I think there's a lot to be said for those other guys being able to to step up. But we, we know that if Georgia doesn't win it, there are going to be so many people saying, well, it's never going to happen for Kirby. I totally get why it's being said, given what we were talking about with this team in the regular season. But I'm also thinking, well, if Bama was the only thing that stood in Kirby's way and Kirby has five consecutive top seven finishes, that's what he's about to get, win or lose in this one. Maybe this is a little bit like the Harbaugh-Urban thing. Harbaugh couldn't beat Ohio State until Urban left. And if Urban were still there, he'd probably still find a way. I know you've been saying that waiting out Saban is is the key to anyone on the outside looking in, but if Saban is going to be doing this until the robots get here, which has kind of been my take, doesn't that sort of blow up the theory that, you know, this is eventually going to, or that, that Kirby isn't going to be able to win a national championship? All right, so this is nuanced. It's very layered. Um, let's break this down. <laughs> so I am a believer this is a must-win game for them, but I'm also a believer patience is key. So if you've ever seen someone not ride a fence, but literally surf on top of a fence, that's what I'm doing right now. Yes, I believe it's must-win only because I'm from Georgia. I know what the temperature in that state is right now. And you've got to remember, they invest like Alabama. Maybe the only other program other than A&M out there, quite frankly, that invests like tit-for-tat like Alabama does. Well, what that does for the fan base and I don't disagree with this, it, it buys them the right to demand those results. Because they look at it and they say, you came here and you said you're going to need this, 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 and this if we're going to beat Alabama. Well, we've given you this, 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 and this in all caps. Where is the return on our investment? We've, we've had patience, because to them, five years is patience, and I don't disagree with them. And they also know this, and they're right about this. This is the best shot they've had. I think most people realize that. And you're getting two cracks at Alabama. And if you cannot do it when they're as young as they are, like this Bama team, it's insane to me that they're in the national championship game. This Georgia team's full of 27-year-old men. Alabama's got kids over there, at least according to the birth certificates. If you can't get it done at this point, it's not that anyone calls for hot seat or anything, but it's just the attitude, I think, changes. And the attitude all of a sudden becomes, you're asking us for what? I mean, what are you going to do? We're we just going to spend more money. We're going to build a new facility. We're going to get 15 five-star recruits instead of 14. Like, we've already heard this song and dance, man. We're just going to have to settle. We're just going to have to wait for him to leave. Okay, now that's the Georgia diehard fan point of view. Then you've got the other side. This is, if I were a Washington State fan observing this 
from far away. I'm totally neutral. I would think to myself, let's just say you're right. Let's say Saban's here for a long, long time. I don't think he's going to coach 10 more years, but let's just go way beyond the pale. Let's say Saban coached another decade. And let's say you never beat him, but he coaches another decade. Even then, if Kirby stays at Georgia and does nothing more than what he's been doing, then he has still stockpiled talent. Uh, they, they've won a whole bunch of games. They've pumped a whole bunch of dudes into the NFL. Ten years from now, Kirby Smart will only be as old as Nick Saban was when he got to Alabama. Saban would have been at Bama a quarter century by that point, and if he retired, Kirby would only then be 55. Kirby's 45 right now. Kirby is 10 years younger than Saban was when he got to Bama. So Kirby's smart. Even if he has to wait it out another 10 years, and I don't think it's going to be that long, he would still only be at the position that Saban was when he got to Alabama. So where would Georgia be at that point? They'd be as well-positioned as anyone, I would think. It's just I know how hard it is to sell someone who lives in Ackworth, Georgia, or Valdosta, Georgia. I know how hard it is to sell them on that. But if the only thing standing between you and your goal is quite literally the greatest of all time, that means there are 50 rungs below you on the ladder and there's one above you. It's not time to panic at that point. Okay, so let's, let's do the, the flip side. Let's say Georgia wins. There are no guarantees in this sport, but... I think that can open the floodgates for Kirby for the next decade or so, and the 2020s will potentially belong to Georgia. Maybe not quite in the same way that the 2010s belong to Bama, because again, I've said this before, I don't think it's a fair standard for anyone to be judged based on what Alabama did in the 2010s, but maybe it's closer to like what, what Clemson did in the latter part of the 2010s. Do you think that's possible, or do you think the SEC would prevent that from happening for Georgia? No, I think it's fair, but let's just Let's just stop if they win Monday night. If they don't win another title, this is history. Like, Georgia winning a national championship is history. Like, Nick Saban's ruined this for a lot of people because they don't have proper perspective on what that means. Ohio State, you can either look at them and say they only won one national championship in the teams, or you can say, wow, that's a phenomenal decade. They won a lot of games and they got a title. That's the way you should phrase it. Like, take Alabama out of the equation. If Georgia does win Monday, that's history. But I also believe what you're saying may have some validity because I think it's a crossroads moment for him. And I, I'll tell you what I make it analogous to. I think this is Mark Richt 2012 SEC championship game, ironically, against the same Alabama team. They get down inside the 10-yard line. They almost take it in to score and win the game. They would almost certainly have gone on to play Miami or beat Notre Dame in Miami, win a national yeah. championship. At that point, Georgia's got a title. Rick's got a title. Like, who knows how different the future would have been? But they didn't get it done. We didn't know it at the time, but that was as close as they were ever going to get. That was their best shot. And a few years later, Rick's out. Kirby, if he loses Monday night, I can't tell you what the future holds. I think they'll be okay, but who knows? Like, this sport gives you a finite amount of opportunities to grab the belt. You just, there's so much uncertainty in this world. Football and life, so much uncertainty. But if they do grab it, I think you're right. I think it opens kind of another coffer on that dam that only a championship win could open. And I think that's a really good comparison. That Clemson, that sort of Clemson energy, Clemson had a hump of their own to get over. If Georgia were to get over that same proverbial hump, yeah, I, I think they really start snowballing that thing. Josh, I know uh, you've got a lot going on this week before Indy. I, I want to get you out of here with five rapid-fire questions. Just first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yep, let's do it. All right, first one, you've been asked this question before, but I don't know that I've ever gotten an answer to it. 
How many white t-shirts do you own? Um, under one and a half. No, come on. No, there's no Look, way. I own a lot of them. Like I'm sitting in a room right now. I'm looking over here. Believe it or not, people send me white t-shirts. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't open them. I've got a go-to. Now here's the thing you need to know about this shirt. I wash it after every show. So about every six months, it gets worn out so much that I do have to break out a new shirt. But there is only one T-shirt in the rotation at any given time. You're, you're a cartoon character at this point. You're bound by the same uh, that is. I don't, I don't think that's the worst. I don't think that's an insult. Like, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> uh, who is the, the head coach at Pate State? That's a designation that I leave open to interpretation. I think this is one of those R.L. Stein books. You know those Goosebumps books that, I don't know if you read them as a kid. I used to read them all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, when R.L. Stein started to get a lot of success with the Goosebumps books, what a parallel I'm making right now, he started to branch out, and he did those books where, like, you fill in the blank, you decide at the end of the page. If you want to go this way, go to page 38. If you want to go that way, turn to page 72. I leave a lot of the administrative and on-field positions at Pate State open to interpretation. I really plan on doing something with this, like in the spring or summer. I really want to branch out with it, get creative with it, because we've got our own fictitious university over here. And if I don't get that commissioner election secured, then my backup plan is just to be the chancellor over here at our fictitious university. Basically, we just want to create a parallel universe. That's all we've ever wanted. Okay, very important question. Um, you're a weightlifting guy, so I can ask this without it being a meathead question. Bench, squat, or deadlift? Uh, I would choose deadlift out of the three. I just mm. did deadlift this morning, so we, we have like this snowstorm moving through Nashville right now. I normally go work out at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I had to be the 5.15 a.m. YMCA guy this morning, had some great conversations about Korea. And so then I did deadlifts this morning. It always makes me feel sick when I work out in the morning. So then deadlifts make you feel sick anyway. So it was a double sickness. Uh, but I did deadlifts this morning. I love deadlifts. Like, I love them. The problem is I, sometimes because I have two torn meniscus or the plural menisci, I have torn menisci. And so I've got to be careful with it. It's one of those depressing things where you cannot really maximize your lift, not because you lack the leg strength, you lack the joint strength. And I'm going to stop at this point because I really feel like I'm aging even as the sentence progresses. I already told you I worked out at the Y at 5.15. Now I'm telling you about <laughs> joint pain. So um, give me deadlifts. Okay. I, I think you're the only person to ever answer with deadlift with, with those three. That's uh. That's pretty unpopular. Usually you get like, oh yeah, I threw out my back deadlifting one time and could never do it again. But you're, you're I guess, the rare exception to the rule. That means the form is, is perfect at this point. Well, here's what you also need to know. You and I are talking on January 6th, which means any chest station at a gym is a disaster right now. Mm. It's full of kids who um, really need to be over in a separate station, but that's okay. They're in the gym. They're trying. That's fine. But I don't even assume that I'll be able to do chest again until probably St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> All right. Uh, say something nice about Indianapolis and tell the doubters why it's a great city to host a championship event. Okay. So a, a couple of my buddies live there. They really understand how to cook meat. Uh, they really know they're racing. And... I think that the violent crime rate has dropped a tick in quarter four of 2021, okay. if I'm not mistaken. So Indianapolis, drink it up. 
That was, I, I can tell, that was that was tough for you to be able to say. You're gonna enjoy it. You're, you are gonna come back from Indianapolis and I promise you, uh, God willing, if you're able to get there, get through the snow in Nashville, you're gonna come back and you're gonna have a different, a different impression of the city, I promise. Well, look, so you can sell me on this. It's not that I look down on Nashville, quite the opposite. I'm from Fortson, Georgia. I don't look down on anything. But I have not spent time in Nashville. I've been through it a few times, but I have not spent, or uh, Indianapolis. I Indianapolis, have not spent yeah. time in yeah, I said Nashville like 14 times. I've, I've just not spent time there. So, but I'll tell you what's going to happen. You know this is coming. You had a bunch of the uh, legacy media that spent an entire week down in Miami, and now they're being thrust from Miami up to Indianapolis. And these are uh-huh. already people who go out of their way to look down their nose at the college football public. So can you imagine what's about to be said behind the scenes and probably just publicly about your fair city this week? I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. I take a lot of pride in Indianapolis. Um, wife's family lives there. Uh, went to college in Indiana, like all those different things. It's, uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping that Indy gets a, a better rap by the time that, that people are, uh, are ready to, to leave town. But uh, I'll get you out of here with this last one. You know it's coming. I don't know if you've made it on your, on your airwaves yet, but a final score prediction for Monday night. Ooh, a score prediction, huh? So I have 27 to 23 in my head. Uh, I ended up rolling with Alabama. I have not even predicted this on my own show yet. It's coming tonight. So I am going with Alabama. Here's what I came back to. Um, Sometimes I think the simplest approach when you think it's going to be a close game is the best approach. Here's what I ended up saying. We did the breakdown. We recorded it already. I did like 25 minutes. And at the end of it, I find myself saying, wait a second. I think the best player in the game is Will Anderson. I think the best quarterback in the game is Bryce Young. I think the best head coach in the game is Nick Saban. They're all on the same sideline. I think the game's going to be close anyway. I've already seen it happen once, so I know that team in Crimson can do it. I'm going to pick them. In other words, I'm going to make Nick Saban fail to prove me wrong instead of getting proven wrong because he does what he's been doing since he's been really on this planet, but specifically in college football. So I went with Alabama. Close game, though. 27-23 is what you're rolling with? That's where I feel like generally I don't believe in predicting scores because it just nails you to the wall so much. Yeah. But that's I can't get that score out of my head for some reason. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Josh, this has been great. Really appreciate the time. Looking forward to, to all the coverage you're going to be providing. Best of luck with, uh, with everything in Indy this weekend, man. Absolutely, brother. Can't wait to get up there. Appreciate you having me on. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and Brash, National Championship Edition. Got a lot of great responses. Let's just get right into it. I feel like we're going to have some, some, some ones that are all over the place uh, this time because I feel like the National Championship is a little bit more split than it's been in years past, just in terms of predicting outcomes, all those different things. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with this one from Caleb Tillman. Caleb says, Stetson Bennett throws for more than 350 yards and zero interceptions. Stetson's career high was that Michigan game. Breaking, uh, just, I, what do you have, like 307 or something like that? I could be wrong on that. Um, Man. 350 against Bama defense is life-changing. Life-changing. And obviously, this is a life-changing game for Stetson. Yeah. But 350 at a national championship? I mean, mm. if, he, if he does that, obviously, we're assuming that Georgia wins, and that would be more than enough. But the zero interceptions, that's the key. You go back to that interception that he threw 
where, he, like, I, like I mentioned on the front end of the pod, where he's <laughs> going at Brock Bowers, and like that's that's the exact play that he has to be able to avoid. But I think that number Georgia fans are are understandably very hung up on that because it feels like that's the thing that could really shoot this defense in the foot, and that's the reason why Kirby Smart feels that confidence is like he's going to play mistake free football. Okay, fifty. You think that's possible? Well, let's say let's say this over under two fifty. I'm going to say, I'll take over. I'll take over. Yeah. I mean, hey, he might have a stinker, and this might be the thing we look stupid about, but, like, I don't don't know. Maybe this is the Stetson game. I'm rooting for the Stetson game. Let's get get the mailman statue. (laughs) The reception that he would have after this game would be very interesting, and he's got another year of eligibility left. Oh, boy, does he. He's going to be like Van Wilder just being college until he's 30. Anyway. Forever. Um, let's go with this one from, um, we'll keep it to the bold ones here. <laughs> I guess this <laughs> I is the like one that bold. you're looking at too. Yeah, we'll, we'll skip that one. We'll skip that one. Uh, Drew Page says, Alabama kicks a field goal at the end only for it to miss. George Pickens returns it and laterals it to Stetson for the game-winning touchdown kick six part two electric boogaloo. <laughs> Very pro electric boogaloo podcast. <laughs> Glad he snuck that one in there. The boldest thing about that is Stetson Bennett being on the field in that situation. Why would he be out there? Listen, you got to, if it's the last play of the game, you got to put the mailman out there. You just never know what he can do for you. Right, is he out there for his lateral throwing ability? And, and you hope that he's he's in that spot where you need an on-target lateral, like that cross-field Music City Miracle type of yes, throw. Yes, that's the play call. That. That's what you don't see. That's the play call. He's hiding, okay. ready for the lateral. Okay, that makes sense. Maybe that's not so bold, Drew. Um, we've seen it happen before, so yeah, what's to say it couldn't happen again eight years later? Um, if that if this game comes down to to a kick, the blood pressure of both of these fan bases, the years that will take <laughs> off of their lives, I truly hope it doesn't for the sake of their long-term health because, man, the magnitude of that moment would just be second to none. Second to none. Again. Even Bama having that much success. Every time a kicker steps on the field for Bama at this point, that's that's the only thing that can re- really get your blood pressure going. Just darn Nick Saban for ruining all those memes, man. It used to be you had to deal with guys like McElroy and horrible kickers. And like, that was how you beat Bama. Now they got Bryce Young and like an automatic kicker. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Will Reichert, as you said, the pride of Hoover High School. Hoover so. legend. I'm, I'm gonna get this in there. Like I said, Josh Pickens is from uh, Hoover as well. So we are guaranteed a Hoover High School national champion. Let's go boys, go Bucks. Wh- what a play for Hoover High that would be. If Will Reichert misses the <laughs> kick, George Pickens, another Hoover High legend, <laughs> returns it. And wow, um, that would be, yeah, that would be a big moment for, for your school. They would just, in the trophy case, they would just put a, a repeat video of that. But then they, would, they, they wouldn't show Will Reichert with the kick mm-hmm. they would just show like the ball is already in midair and then it's Pickens returning it and having this this great moment they cut George. to Josh Niblo on the sidelines with a flat bill and he's just clapping his hands off saying go bucks anyway exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh Tanner Starr says Alabama throws on UGA again for the win unlike what they did to Cincy because they had more respect for Cincy's secondary I think any path to a national championship for Bama is Bryce Young being Bryce Young 
I, I don't think they run it back with that same game plan. Yeah. The, the one that we saw against Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I think it's very, very different. I don't know that Brian Robinson is going to be ready to go considering how banged <laughs> up he probably was at the end of that game and how, how difficult that had to be. And you see, like, like we brought up the other day with the yards after first contact that PFF had, 127. Like, yeah. Dude took a pound. He wasn't like he was running free on all of those plays. Yeah. I, Bama's going to have to throw yeah. to win this game. And the over-under on Bryce Young passing yards. That maybe that should be the 350. Like, I, I could see that scenario. I could see Bryce Young throwing for 350 in a losing effort. Mm-hmm. I think that's possible as that, well. That's another yeah. thing, too, is like, you know, what if he comes out and just throws for like, you know, it looks like Burrow out there in 2019, and, and the end of the season is like, we won the Heisman, he had these, this great performance, and it's like, dang, like maybe he was way better than we thought. I could see that happen, too. I absolutely could. And if Bryce Young ends up, being the MVP of this game or something like that and and Bama wins and I mean we're talking about one of the great individual seasons that we've seen in the sport yeah. that, that would all be on the table for him the list of dudes who have won the Heisman Trophy and then played a national championship and, and, and balled out like that and beat a historically dominant defense like that twice that, he, that would put him into that echelon absolutely in the 21st century. It's kind of hard to compare some of those things with the numbers and stuff with going back like, you know, before essentially the fun and gun offense where we're, we're, we're talking about a much different time for quarterbacks, but Bryce Young would definitely put himself in that category if he had that type of day again in a winning effort. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do, can include, gotta keep it, guys, gotta keep it PG here. <laughs> Come on now, this is a family podcast. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, well, you know what? We'll get. We'll let Mark Riley's. We'll let this one run here. Uh, Kirby Smart is found hiding in a bathroom stall two hours before game time, shaking and pulling straight from a handle of Jim Beam. Mom's spaghetti. <clears throat> These weak arms are heavy. <laughs> you know, everybody has that. Um, <clears throat> what's the, What's a nice way to say this? It is the alcohol that you can think about that tests your gag reflex. Yeah. You hear the name or you see it somewhere, you picture it, and it instantly brings up bad memories of having too much of it. Mm-hmm. Jim Beam, that really? is it for your boy. Yes. No questions asked. That, that oh, a couple of bad Jim Beam nights in college has made that untouchable for me at this point. What about you? Any kind of tequila. Ah, interesting. <laughs> Any, so even a margarita, like you can't do? Uh, I'm not crazy about margaritas because they're so strong and sweet. You kind of got to give me one or the other, but yeah, I, I'll i do like a tequila shot, but anything beyond that, I feel like I'm, I don't know. It's not good. <laughs> that's that, That's gotta be the most common one, yeah. right? The, the single most common, because you're right, it, it tricks you in different sort of ways. and. Yeah, I've had a I've had a bad night on on a, a few too many margaritas way back in the day, but you know it happens. Jim Beam though is that's yikes. Mm-hmm. I don't I hope maybe it's the same way for Kirby. No idea. Well, we're hoping Kirby will be sober. Is what we're saying. That's what we're you know. <laughs> I think he's gonna be sober. If I had to guess, we'll see though. Um, let's see. Uh, let's go with this one from Chris Zahor. Chris says, once again, Bama wins. Once again, Bama puts up a symbolic 41 points, rubbing salt in UGA's <laughs> wound. I go on the Facebook group page after the game and talk way too much crap for a Florida fan in this scenario. 
You know, man, that's the thing about Bama. They get you these football fan fictions. I don't even hate that. That would be hilarious. I wonder how bad 41 would sting if it was that exact number. For Kirby, a defensive-minded guy, and, and how bad it would be to see that for the third consecutive time. It's not like 42 would be better than 41 mm -hmm. for him, for, for whatever reason. Because 41 is not even common. It's not like, oh, it's 28. It's, you know. Everybody can kind of get there. We're but. going for two boys <laughs> into the game just to rub it in. I'll tell you what. I, 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 don't, I, I can't imagine this Georgia defense lost 41 again. Yeah. That is, that is just so much with how much, with how, with how much they have dominated for the vast, vast majority of this season. But that's why we're in Bolden Brash right now. Um, let's see. <laughs> Joseph McGee says, we all remember second and 26. Well, 2022 will all be known for fourth and 14 down and yardage subject to change. <laughs> okay, this is kind of unrelated to this, but I, I, I tweeted about this and it's, it's a rant that I've been saving for a long time. Okay. Let's not call this the 2022 national championship. That's stupid. That is so unbelievably stupid that we decide that just because the calendar turns, we're gonna change everything about this season, what we've called it and be like, oh, this is 2022 now. No, everything 2022 starts in September, all right? I don't wanna hear this crap about how this is the 2022 national championship because then you say, all right, well, who's the best team in 2021? Well, it was, it was Georgia, it was Bama, whatever. Who won the 2021 SEC championship? Well, Bama won that. Why do we all of a sudden decide that we need to turn the page and go on to the new year just because that's the that's when the game is technically being played it's stupid it's confusing i hate it when teams do it or when bowl games do it it's like i don't why is it the 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 2021 rose bowl if it's played on new year's eve but it's the 2022 rose bowl if it's played on new year's day that makes no freaking sense stop confusing people just stick with the current season this isn't the nba we're not going into the next year it's not like the nfl where at least like they're playing regular season games mm -hmm. in the following year that's a little bit different we have one game like we have one game why do we do that it makes no sense you know that leads me to a very specific thing that everybody listening to this can can recognize you ever get in an argument with a guy and they're like you're talking about years it's like oh yeah like 2017 that was the year that like bama like you know beat georgia da, da, da. no dude that yeah. was 2018 no, 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 yeah, no, no, that was 2017. And then you like go back and forth, and at the end of the argument is just them going, oh, yeah, no, 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 I mean, you, you know what I meant. The game was played in 2018. No, you didn't, dog. No, you didn't. You're lying right now. It has happened to everybody where it's like you get the ears wrong, or they get the ears wrong, and then they end up backdoor covering by being like, no, that game technically happened in 2018. Don't want to hear it ever again. So stupid. Let's change that. I, I will not be upset by calling this. The, I, I'm going to call this the 2021 college football playoff national championship. Yes. Sorry. Sorry if that upsets people. It is the 2021 season, not the 2022 season. Anyway, all right. What are we talking about again? Bold and brash. Kind of was just red <laughs> right now with me. A little bit, a little bit. Gotta have one of those per podcast or we're not doing our jobs, folks. Exactly. Um, let's go. Uh, let's go with uh, this one from Lauren Jeffords. Lauren says, the quarterback gets gets pulled for whatever reason after the half. The backup quarterback comes in and saves the day after a terrible offsides call. Have you seen this movie? I think I've seen this movie. Now, she didn't say the specific team, so open for interpretation there. I would assume she's talking about Bama, but JT Daniels playing a meaningful snap in this game. We didn't even talk about it in the preview because 
I think everybody has kind of moved past the notion <laughs> that that could happen, but maybe that's the area, the lone stone that we didn't turn. Mm -hmm. I'd put it at like 4% chance that we see JT Daniels play meaningful snaps in this football game. Dude, it's so tough because we literally talked about it after the last Georgia loss where it's like, hey, they got to give him something. Then he like, didn't he catch COVID or he got injured again? Yeah, he had COVID and then people are like, oh, you know, that's going to limit what he's going to be able to do during the bowl prep. And it's like, well, <laughs> I don't necessarily expect that that would have made a, as big of an impact as some speculated, but it didn't exactly help any notion that he would be able to come into the game against Michigan. Yeah, so point being like, it's just, it's that's in show, man. I, based on everything we've seen with Kirby, I, this is the thing I love to be wrong about because boy, would that be dramatic. But that's one thing we could almost count on with Kirby is that whenever he's in any kind of a tough situation, Stetson Bennett's gonna be trotting out there against all odds, rain, sleet, or shine. Stetson Bennett will be taking them snaps. You're not wrong about that. Um, let's go to this from Michael Dark. Michael Dark says, the dogs win in overtime and I'm so violently hung over at work the next day that I have to show my classes a movie. <laughs> There's a reason God invented Bill Nye the science guy. Bill, 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 Bill. If you're not showing a movie to your class the next day, <clears throat> I, you have more strength than I would have. Either way, win or lose, uh, Michael, this game is going to take a lot out of you. You are going to be in no shape to want to teach and mold young minds after what you're going to put yourself through on Monday. This game is definitely going past, past midnight, I would assume. Mentally prepare yourself to be pretty useless on that following Monday. In fact, why, why are you going to work, man? Have that built-in sick day. I, yeah, probably everybody at your, at your school knows you're a diehard Georgia fan. They'd be able to connect the dots. Could they blame you? This is actually really? a mind-blowing comment because I guess like I had like a protected childhood, I guess, that I never thought to consider when I was in like watching Bill Nye in fourth and fifth grade. Like, what if my teacher is just super hungover? And I'm sure that happens more than I thought. Way, way more. I yeah, I look back on every <laughs> single time that the teacher would roll in that 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 TV on wheels. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh yeah. And you knew if if that if that was happening, you were you were taking that that class. Often teachers, I mean, the exact same thing. Some I, I would hate it when teachers would hand you like a worksheet that you had to follow along with. Be like, make sure you're watching the movie. You got to fill in the blanks and know every t single time. It's like, all right. So if I'm not listening at this exact point, I'm gonna miss the the thing that they're saying in this. Mm -hmm. This is stupid. This I, I don't like this. Not a fan of that. But definitely was a fan of movies in class without having to do any work with a hungover teacher. Thanks. <laughs> Let's end with this one. Zach Woodhurst. Uh, Zach says, um, Georgia holds Alabama to one score and the world realizes the SEC championship was a dumb fluke. Okay, if Georgia wins this game, I still think the SEC championship will have served a very significant purpose. Uh, maybe for both teams, really. Because obviously for Georgia, the narrative would be, well, the Bama game kind of woke them up. It allowed them to figure out what their weaknesses were. Bama exposed things that a team like Tennessee couldn't, a, a team like Kentucky couldn't. And we got to see what that looked like. Georgia was able to reach its best version of itself in part because it got humbled in the SEC championship. For Bama though, like, I think being able to win another SEC title win another playoff game, get to another SEC, get to another national championship, nine in 13 years for Saban, that still serves a purpose. And probably win, lose, or draw in this game, 
I would guess Bama is starting off as the number one team in the country in the way too early 2022 rankings. Hmm. That's when using 2022 is appropriate when we're talking about way too early rankings. There you go. Because they're still going to have the best two players in college football returning. And that's still going to matter. And I'm not buying any sort of belief that Will Anderson is going to skip his junior year. I know some have already speculated about that, which to me is just a little bit ridiculous. But I still think that will have served a purpose. And getting those guys on the playoff stage, a very young Alabama team could have long-term benefits for them. So I think, yeah, I, I think the SEC championship will still have mattered no matter what. Well, just remember, Connor, there's only one team better than postseason Bama, and that's preseason Texas A&M. Anyway, so thinking about this game, it's got to be oh, interesting. Well. It's got to be interesting if you're a Georgia fan, right? Because if you win this one game, like convincingly, what's your level of smack talk ability for Bama? Is it just like, hey, don't care. I'm letting these jokes fly. Doesn't matter what the record is. It's got to be kind of like the Braves in a way where it's just like, hey, look, whatever. Like we have our title, like whatever. I, I am going to soak this in. Um, but then obviously, you know, one thing that I'll tell you the ballad of Coach Ogeron Basking in the Bama win, <laughs> there will be another chance. Seven will always find a yes. way. You know who Georgia fans clap back at the most? It's not Bama fans. It's Florida fans. Oh, yes. It's Florida fans. It's Florida holding the... Florida Florida fans are the loudest when it comes to the 1980 jokes. That's they actually a good point. That's actually a really good point. This win for Georgia fans will be like, okay, cool, Bama, we beat you, good game. But aha! They start laughing at Florida fans immediately. So actually, that's the yes. biggest stakeholder here is actually Florida fans. Because if Georgia loses again, it's like, oh, see, we're both bad. If they win, it's like, wow, well, y'all got everything now. Yes, <laughs> there's there's nothing we got now. Yeah, that, that would be the, the toughest. And, and, you know, even Florida fans would point out, well, hey, we won, you know, we got two national championships in the 21st century, and we still have, you know, we, we still have that argument. And it's like, well, who, whose future would you, would you rather have at this point? Not, not that I'm doubting Billy Napier. I'm, I'm saying his praises on this, but you would still be like, yeah, Georgia, now that it's got over that hump, it's, it's a little bit of a different discussion right now. And that's, that's what Florida, a lot of Florida fans are hanging on to. But Georgia fans would be... Uh, they, they would let Florida fans hear it. Yeah, they definitely would. 1980 yeah. got to be the single most powerful word in college football. It's like it's like this you on Twitter. It's like it works for everything. So if that's taken away, I don't know what's going to happen to that rivalry. The next time we talk, we will know whether or not the 1980 jokes have officially come to an end. We will be recording next Tuesday. So that's the day after the national <clears throat> championship. We'll try and record sometime that morning and get the podcast up that day um that is that is the initial plan um but really really excited hope everybody is able to enjoy the national championship even if you're not a fan of one of these two teams still going to be a great showdown with massive massive implications in college football if you have not leave us a five-star review go subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already go subscribe to our newsletter go subscribe to college football uncensored and saturday lives forever wherever you get your podcast join the facebook group hear your name red on air with figuring out or bold and brash thanks guys talk soon